At the top of the show here, I just wanted to give a huge shout out to Christy, Aaron, Elizabeth, Karen, Mackenzie, Emma, and Mia, who are all Patreons over on patreon.com slash let's dive deep. They all got to listen to this episode one week early, and they're helping make this show possible. So if that is something that interests you, feel free to head over to the link in the show notes below or patreon.com slash let's dive deep to take a look at that. Otherwise, let's start talking about the Bridgerton books. Hello everybody, Bradley here, recording this podcast in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, on Canada Day of all days, using my public holiday to read the Bridgerton books and podcast on them. It's exactly what I had in mind when I was preparing for Canada Day on a Friday of all days. Welcome into another episode of Let's Dive Deep. Today, we are beginning our deep dive into the first novel in the Bridgerton series entitled The Duke and I, and in this episode, we will be covering the prologue and Chapter 1. Before we get started today, I would like to remind you that this podcast will contain adult content. Each episode will be a little bit different, but I've watched the adaptation. At some point, someone read this book and then decided that Daphne and Simon needed to have sex in like 87 different areas at the same time in their little mansion in a montage that was overlaid by a Regency-era cover of Taylor Swift's Wildest Dreams. Someone read this book and then made that scene, which means at some point in this book there will be some adult content, so please, please please do not listen to this podcast around children. And as for spoilers, I will not be spoiling anything past the prologue in chapter one of The Duke and I, because I have not read past those two chapters. However, I have watched both seasons of the Netflix adaptation that are out as I'm recording this, and I will be commenting on those as needed to compare the book to the show, but also just like little bits and quirks, you know, hey, in the book, the character's like this, and in the show, they're a little bit like that. And so I will be using my show knowledge to enhance my reading of the books where it is applicable. So if you have not watched the Netflix adaptation, you would like to watch it without me spoiling it for you, I would go ahead to do that and then come back to this podcast. And finally, before we get started today, there are a few things you can do to support the podcast if you would like to indulge yourself in doing a kind thing for a kind of solo podcaster who's recording this podcast on a public holiday. Uh, the first is go and rate and review the podcast everywhere. We're kicking off the first book of the Bridgerton series. The best way to get this podcast out to the most amount of people who would like to listen to it is by rating and reviewing it on whichever podcast platform you are listening to this on. And also just word of mouth, tell your dog, tell your uncle, tell your mom, tell your sister, I don't know, tell someone who you think would like this podcast that it exists, and voila, more people will listen to it. Also, just a reminder that these, these podcast episodes are going out early on Patreon. If you'd like to join the Patreon, that link is in the show notes below. It's a couple of bucks a month, helps me pay the podcasting fees, and gets you early access to all the content, so win-win, double win there for everybody. There's also a Facebook group you should join. It's completely free. We just hang out in there. We have a good time. Feel free to do that, and that'll cover all the Let's Dive Deep podcasts. So if you're here for Bridgerton, be like, yeah, I like the Harry Potter one too, or I really like the Hamilton one, then they could hop over on the Facebook. What is it that you're waiting for? And I think that's it. Make sure to email me. You know, we got an email, letsdivedeeppod at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your opinions on the books as we go through them together. And also we have a Twitter at Let's Dive Deep. That's it. That's all for all the, the malarkey at the beginning though. Let's dive deep into the Duke and I, the first Bridgerton novel by Julia Quinn. We are here 
with the prologue, and these books were described to me by a very close friend, somebody who I trust with my life with book recommendations, as a crime against humanity, so I'm fully expecting at some point for these books to not live up to the hype of Jane Austen, and I don't think they will. However, however, I liked these two chapters. There was at no point in these first two chapters where I went, ah, fuck, I'm kind of committed now to doing a podcast on these books, and I already don't want to read them. So that is good. We'll take that as a good sign for things to come. The prologue is necessary. I'm not a big prologue fan. I'm not a big epilogue fan specifically. I often find that the use of prologues and epilogues do something very specific in a way that's just kind of lazy. Mostly epilogues. Prologues are more forgivable because they set up the story in an interesting way. But epilogues, I always feel like, well, they wanted to write a bunch more stuff, but didn't really know how to do it or where to do it, but also weren't brave enough to let us just like simmer with the ending, right? Like they needed to make sure all the, the T's were crossed and the I's were dotted instead of just letting your mind fill in the blanks. So I often really dislike epilogues prologues i have a little more patience for and this was definitely not the worst prologue ever what this chapter does here right off the top is it just sets up simon we need our protagonist to be set up we need to know who simon is and we need to know who daphne is there's a bunch of other characters we're going to get to meet and i think the reason why we need Simon off the bat is we will learn a lot about Daphne through Simon. That already starts to happen a little bit in chapter number one. However, because of Simon's upbringing, obviously Daphne wasn't there for that. Unless we have a bunch of exposition during the book of Simon telling Daphne about his upbringing, which I don't know if we'll get, then this chapter is necessary so we know going in. So I will hold on the prologue. My opinion of it is if I begin to think that this could have been better woven into the story, then I will probably dislike the prologue and go, ah, this was pretty lazy to just get it out of the way up front. Um, however, if this was just a good way, like, hey, right off the bat, we're going to get this exposition out of the way so that the story can just kick, kick start from chapter one and move forward, then I'll be okay with this prologue. It was well written. I felt like the information we got was important and necessary. However, I'm just always a little wary of them because there's always these books where the prologue tells me something that the characters could have told each other and it would have been a way less clunky way to learn all the exposition. So it's a big exposition chapter. We learn a lot about Simon. Let's dive into it. At the very beginning, because I'm a little immature and I was just having fun, and look, I'm here to have fun reading these books. We're going to have a good time. I put in my notes, look, man, Cliveden sounds fucking fun. Cliveden sounds like a good place to be. The Duke's around. There's a baby on the way. I don't know what the line was, something about the butcher buying something to party or whatever, but I, like the painters are partying, the butchers are partying, everyone's getting, everyone's getting their drinks together, everyone's getting flowers. There's going to be a whole party in the town or the area of Cliveden because the baby's being born. And look, if I, I'm currently doing this on a public holiday, I do not need an excuse to party, right? Like I, I will not say that I'm the biggest partier out there. However, I'm a mega extrovert. I love being out and around people. You do not have to drag me to a party. So if someone comes like, hey, hey, the Duke, the dude that takes all your money in taxes, that guy, that guy's having a kid. And I don't know, should we get fucked up? Because the kid's being born and I'd be like, yes, yes, we should. We should do it because the kid's being born all the time, even if there's not a kid. Like, why don't we just do that all the time? So I was in on Cliveden. Julia Quinn made Cliveden in just a couple of sentences sound like a, a rocking place to be when there's a baby on the way. 
There's a lot to break down here uh, about Simon and his birth and what follows it. The first thing, <laughs> I, I, okay, I know that Julia Quinn is probably not going to live up to the high highs of some of the authors that I've read. But there's there's some real moments of good, of genuinely good, but also some really funny writing here. Like Simon Arthur Henry Fitzranolph Bassett. I put in my notes, that's a hell of a name. But after I wrote that in my notes, later in the chapter, she said, and that's more names than any baby needs. And I laughed out loud. That was very funny. So Julia Quinn in the prologue, not even chapter one yet. And I already like her style of writing already got me once. So I mean, I'm sucked in. That was very, very funny. Um, and Simon is kind of born into a family where at the beginning, you, hmm, I don't know how to word this. The Duke is a monster in a way that mo a lot of people would be a monster in his situation in this time. Remember, I'm not going to stop at everything that's problematic and be like, Ooh, that's problematic. These are Regency era books. There's going to be lots of problematic things. So I'm not going to stop at everyone. So we'll just, the Duke is problematic. But within that, there are some moments here where you do kind of, in a way, feel just the slightest bit bad for him. Because on the one hand, on the one hand, he's a complete fucking asshole, and we're going to get to all that. On the other hand, it's genuinely important for society, the society that he lives in and what the societal expectations are of him, to have a son to bequeath this land to. Because the book presents this as a as a do or die for the dukedom of Cliveden or whatever he's the duke of, right? If he does not have a son that can take over being the duke, then the land has to be forfeited to someone else. And he doesn't particularly get to choose. The book kind of makes it sound like, or maybe he does, maybe it does say, I, can, I read these chapters like a couple of days ago. Maybe it does say something he gets to pick a cousin or whatever, or that he should have given it to a cousin or whatever. But anyway, the book is kind of making it seem like do or die, he either gets to be the duke and pass along to his son, or when he dies, the dukedom just goes willy-nilly, whoever the fuck knows. And he doesn't want that. It's legacy stuff, right? So on one hand, you feel kind of bad that he doesn't have a son. And you feel definitely more bad for his wife, but at least a little bit bad too, that as far as I'm aware, there's a lot of mm, problems. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to like trigger anyone who's listening to this, who has had some of these problems, but I guess we'll go with the trigger warning, like miscarriages or stillbirths or those types of things. There's been a lot of those types of problems that have also been, present in his in his quest to have a uh, an heir or even just children and that that was really unfortunate i felt really bad um, way more for the wife which we'll talk about in a minute um but definitely a little bit for for him as well now before the duke becomes a raging asshole we do need to talk a little bit about the duchess here the first thing that happens or at least one of the first things that happens is that once you know, being a woman in this time just fucking sucks. And I think that's going to be a theme. It's certainly a theme in the show. I think it's going to be a more present theme in the books when we're kind of in character's head and we can kind of better understand what characters are thinking as they go throughout the story. That's just an advantage of being in a book instead of TV. But one of the, the uh, original kind of truths of Bridgerton for the book at this point, certainly, and the show in general, is that being a woman in this time sucks. There's different levels of suck, depending on whether you are super mega rich and you end up being like Daphne, where you get to marry and actually love your husband. Um, and there's like the way worse level of suck where your parents just like sell you off to the highest bidder. And everything in the middle 
is a different level of suck. And then there's all the suck that society puts on you that regardless of where on that first suck spec spectrum you you end up on uh the society just puts a bunch of fucking suck in your lap and you just have to deal with it so the first thing that happens is this poor woman who becomes pregnant and then her husband the duke the asshole is like hey just fucking you have to be in your room all the time forever until you have the baby which may again if we're looking at this from his point of view at least i can understand how he gets to that decision even if i disagree with that decision i get how he gets there logically but then he spends what seems like a ton of money they make it sound like a lot of money like a whole he fucking throws all his money and the kitchen sink at this problem of needing a doctor on hand at all time so he's going out he's taking out the the credit card he's selling the horses or whatever it is he's doing to get all this money he's opening the accounts he's like throwing gold bars away or whatever he's doing i don't know what you do in the regency era to collect all of your vast quantities of wealth but he's giving it to this doctor from london i believe it is who's going to come and live in with them while the duchess is pregnant and again this makes a lot of sense for his character he really wants the fucking kid he's not dealing with any birth problems no more and so this doctor bless his soul this fucking doctor what he takes all this money he takes all this money and he might as well use the money his big genius solution to stop the duchess from giving birth too early is to <laughs> use gravity which I'm not a doctor or a midwife or any of these things. However, I'm 99% sure this is not a real thing. He like puts pillows or stuff. Well, I think he should just use the gold bars. Why not? Underneath the, the kind of midsection, the torso, the hip area of the Duchess so that she's permanently at like a 20 degree angle with her head on the bed and her hips up. And so gravity is holding the baby inside because in order to come out, it would have to like, you have to go on like a, you know, those, you know, when you're driving on a road and it has a warning, if you're like driving a big truck, like, Hey, 10 degree uphill coming up right in three kilometers, or I guess in America being three miles or whatever. And that's how I imagine the baby's trying to like, Hey, I'm out of here. What are we doing? I don't want to wait nine months. That's insane. And then he gets to the 20 degree angles. Ah, fuck. I can't climb that yet. I'm seven months in the womb and I, that's a nine month angle right there. You know what I mean? Like that's how I, like what on earth are we doing here? This doctor is a complete waste of fucking money. Against all the odds of previous experience kind of adding up. And I, I'm again, I'm not a, a doctor or anything, but my, um, my interpretation or my understanding of birth and having children is that the more complications you have in previous pregnancies the more those add up and make every subsequent one less likely not impossible by any means and maybe not even less likely by a big chunk and sometimes maybe not even less likely at all but just in general it's sound my impression of how it works based on what i read here comparing it with my knowledge of things which i will admit is very limited i'm a 27 year old dude who is not ever gonna have to be pregnant or give birth and also work like not in the field of medicine so this is all kind of just knowledge that i feel like i've picked up over time but my impression of this situation is that 
it is very unlikely at this point that she will have a successful pregnancy. So against those odds, or at least way less successful than it would have been the first time around. So against those odds, it works out. And certainly against the odds of this fucking doctor who is almost certainly making things worse and not better. He's like, ah, oh, I'm having contraptions. Like, would you like cocaine? What if I mixed the cocaine and whiskey and blew it in a smoke concoction up your butt? Would that help? That's the doctoring that we're doing here in this time. So against all the odds and the doctor, um, she gives birth to a baby boy. And the Duke is ecstatic. Everyone's ecstatic. He rushes in, takes the baby. Oh, my son, Simon Henry Fitzranolf. Fuck it off. You know, Bennett or Bassett or whatever. He's just the whole name and all of that stuff. Um, for the for the Duchess, though, she doesn't make it. Um, in 2022, uh, not everywhere equally, obviously, but in 2022, um, it's still, you know, very dangerous to give birth. There's a whole bunch of complications. There's still many, many pregnancies that would result in the pregnant person um, kind of dying at the end. So that's a thing now with modern medicine and technology, at least in Canada, there's lots of places that don't have the medical capacity that I am uh, fortunate enough to have uh, where I live. But um, in the Regency era, this is almost certainly a much bigger problem than in modern Canada. And so she she doesn't make it. There's complications with the with the um, birth. It doesn't seem like anything malicious. It doesn't seem like the doctors weren't doctoring or people weren't doing their best. It kind of seemed like a slow kind of bleed out, some kind of hemorrhage that wasn't able to be stopped. And, you know, the Duchess is only on the page for a couple of, you know, or on the, on the, in the book for a couple of pages, but you really get, you really feel bad for her. What this does is it perfectly sets up the setting of this book as the Regency era, where you just feel so bad for her in a way that you fully understand the time period she's living in. Uh, of course, the doctor sucks because it's 1814 or 1810 or whatever year it is. Of course, 1790, whatever year it is. Um, of course, the, the the Duke is an absolute fucking bellend. Of course, of course, she dies giving birth because of course that would happen in the Regency era. And it just, and it's juxtaposed in the next chapter against Miss Bridgerton, Violet Bridgerton, who we know has like seven successful pregnancies. Uh, and in the show, one of them gets a little complicated. Uh, but in the books, so far at least, um, it doesn't seem, we haven't learned that yet, so that may or may not be true for the book. But you just this juxtaposition of these two women in back to back chapters one who just has the miscarriages and the stillbirths and the complications, and then the one time she's able to to have a successful pregnancy and bring that to term and have the child be happy and healthy and all that stuff. Um, she can't make it through for that, juxtaposed to Violet. And I thought that was a pretty powerful juxtaposition because we're only a few pages away from learning, like, oh, there's so many Bridgertons and there's, there's so many of them, they have to be alphabetized <laughs> so that you don't forget which one is which in which order, right? And so um, I don't know if you guys reading this put that together, but that was kind of a juxtaposition that I noticed. And Julia Quinn does a really good job of writing this without knowing much about the Duchess at all, you feel really bad for her in a way that really sets you up in the setting. But also she uses some nice language to talk about the situation so that you can 
kind of pass through it as a reader to get to the next thing in a way where you're not kind of emotionally unable to flip to chapter one. But she uses terms like slipping away. Like she didn't die. She didn't like pass out. You know, she didn't, she slipped away. And I really liked that little bit of writing from Julia Quinn to allow us, the reader, to have this moment with the Duchess where we feel bad it's just a terrible situation, but we understand that it was, it, she's at peace now. It's peaceful now, right? Slipping away sounds peaceful. Sounds like she went off to a better place than where she started, which is at least, I appreciated the writing for that. We also get a few moments with the Duke here before he becomes an absolute monster to Simon, where you almost get the sense that like somewhere in him, there's, there's a very um, Darth Vader-esque situation where, you know, especially in the original trilogy, you have Darth Vader, spoilers for Star Wars that came out in the 70s and 80s, I'm sorry. You have Darth Vader, who is just fucking evil. But you also, you have Luke, who's just convinced there's a little bit of something in there, right? There's a little bit of good left in there. There's a little, and this is a trope that happens often, but when I was reading this, it kind of was felt Star Warsy to me a little bit, where he's about to be an absolute monster. But before that happens, right, before we see that, we do see some genuine moments of him being a person with feelings that aren't bad in a way where he's not actively doing a bad thing. Uh, we get some context that, you know, him and his wife, him and the Duchess, they never really loved each other. It certainly wasn't a marriage for love, but they don't make it sound like there was a whole lot of mistreatment. They make it sound like there was at least a, a mutual respect there and they could live together, you know, somewhat happily or peacefully. When he or when she passes, when she uh, slips away, as Julia Quinn put it, you know, he moves her photo to a very prestigious place in the, you know, the mansion where the Duke resides. He makes sure there are flowers going by the headstone fresh every day or week or whatever it is. And these are small things that are certainly not going to make up for his assholery later. But what they do is they effectively make him a person, right? So when he, when he um, becomes a shithead to Simon... He's a real person doing that. And so the impact hits harder instead of just, ah, oh, he was he, like, if he was just simply an asshole, then he's like, ah, oh, he's an asshole doing asshole things. But you do get this moment here where you at least know that the Duke is kind of capable of compassion and empathy and those types of things, which makes it all the more painful later with how he reacts towards Simon and his stutter. The whole situation with Simon just really sucks and it's really unfortunate. Here you have this boy who who at the beginning his father is so proud of, right? Up until the age of like one or two, you know, his father's so proud of him. It's hilarious. You get, this, you get some fun moments of context too. Again, this prologue was not my least favorite prologue ever. You get these moments where, you know, the Duke is like begrudgingly agreeing or whatever it is that I might be misinterpreting exactly. I read these a couple days ago, but... Uh, you have the Duke being like, yeah, I suppose he's only one. He can't learn to shoot or hunt or do the fucking sums yet or deal with the finances. So I suppose he can just, you know, learn how to read or whatever. <laughs> the Duke gets all excited. Like, yo, we're going to teach him to shoot. We're going to teach him how to do taxes. We're going to, you know, make sure he fucking knows how to boss people around. We gotta know he's got to know how to collect rent, right? And the Duke's excited for that. And so you start out with, a father who wants to 
make sure his son like hey i got this dukedom i got this castle i got this fortune i got this name i got this legacy i've built this all up and i want to give it to my son and you know for the regency era that is the goal but also in 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 the first moments you're like yeah you're kind of rooting for him a little bit like, yeah we want simon to have this that's awesome and then simon you know isn't speaking and this starts to become a problem and i believe it's by his second birthday the dad starts to be an absolute prick about it Right, and the teacher, who is incredible, by the way, shouts to this teacher who is goes above and beyond anything imaginable. And he starts to go, like, is my son an idiot? Is my son a freak? Why isn't he talking? Yada this, yada that. And the teacher should be like, no, he is very smart. He's good at math. He's good at letters. Basically, he's fucking amazing at everything that isn't speaking. But the Duke is going to approach this situation just without an open mind and without you know trying to learn or understand anything and just with the closed-minded kind of regency era view like oh he's not talking he must be fucking dumb and then when he starts stuttering that kind of reinforces like oh he's stuttering now he's definitely a fucking dumb kid right like you know what kind of curse have i been put under the one child i get to have my heir the person who will inherit all this is a fucking moron right and he just jumps to that and it's really unfortunate that he can't approach the situation with an open mind or any kind of empathy or understanding and before anybody thinks like yeah this duke is an asshole he sucks in the future we're way better than him are we though are we are we really it's different we're better in a different way or we're better in the sorry we are better in like as a society in that specific way but in many ways we are not better we've just evolved so our assholery hits a little different can be a little more hidden sometimes is about different topics but i don't know if we've actually kind of evolved from this level of assholery um you know we have a lot of problems in canada and i won't talk about those problems because a lot of people won't understand um, just because if you don't live in Canada, you might not be aware of Canadian issues. However, um, America, you know, y'all love to just y'all love to just be like the news of the world is the news in America. You know, you go to the airport in any country, the news channel, CNN, even in Canada our I think our highest rated news channel is CNN. And it doesn't cover a lick of Canadian news. And we can take a look at some of the issues happening in America right now. And many people approach those issues with the same kind of lack of empathy or attempt to understand as the duke is trying to approach this and so much of the literature so much of what makes reading and watching tv shows and going to movies and interacting with stories is how you can relate them to your own life or to the world that you live in. It's what makes them powerful. It's what makes revisiting stories so amazing. It's why so many people will re-watch their favorite TV show, will return to their favorite books, reading them again with more life experience adds so much context. And all I could think about when I was reading this bit about the Duke and his approach to Simon was not that he has, not that he got to the point where Simon is stuttering and he thinks he is a moron. I can understand how a man with no fucking knowledge of anything with the dumb fucking doctors they have in 1790 whatever, right, would think that a child with a stutter is a curse or an idiot or whatever. I 
obviously with my 2022 knowledge, no, that's not true. The teacher in the story knows that's not true, but I understand no matter how much I think he's an asshole, I can at least understand how he gets from A to B, right? Even if getting from A to B makes him a giant fucking monster, right? And all I could think about was, oh, I really wish he could have just approached this situation with a, the slightest bit of an open mind and things would have turned out so differently. And you have kind of two situations. One of them, the second one, is kind of happening a little bit in Canada right now as well. But there are kind of two big issues that have been in the spotlight recently worldwide, um, kind of starting in America a little bit. But, you know, there, there are issues that um, people debate about everywhere before. I don't want to get into any unnecessary America bashing because we have problems everywhere. And, you know, some of these problems are the same problems that we have in Canada or anywhere else. Um, you have the overturning of Roe versus Wade, and you kind of have this resurgence of, you know, pretty disgusting homophobic kind of slander just around, you know, some places, you know, like Florida are kind of going more, more aggressive about it than other places, but it's just starting to resurge a little bit. I, I remember, you know, at least for the very early part of my life, you know, there was a lot of homophobia and homophobic kind of just not, not true, obviously, just homophobic slander being thrown around all the time. And I feel like that's making a comeback right now. And my, my takeaway from those um, is not that, I guess my takeaway from those two situations happening, when I was reading this, the comparison I'm making is a lot of people approach both things without the intention to ever truly understand or empathize, right? They kind of just, you know, when, when, when people, you know, especially white men, form an opinion on something like a, a woman's right to abortion or whatever, they just make one. They don't ask any questions. They don't understand. I and to a into a I'm a white guy, right? Like in in many cases, we will never understand because that that situation will not happen to us in the same way. However, what I see a lot of is like, yeah, good. You know, sex has consequences. It's like, okay, that's a very a what the fuck, cool. Like you're an asshole, but B. Like, that's just a very reductive way of approaching any situation, right? There's no effort to really, truly understand that situation and why someone might approach their healthcare in that way. It's just kind of like, a, I'm a man, and I think that abortion is bad because I'm a man, and I get to tell women what to do, so sex has consequences, no more sex. And it's like, yeah, it's like that, like, yeah, cool, you're a fucking asshole. But B, like, what? what? What kind of way is that to truly intellectually approach making an opinion on a serious issue, right? Like, if you're trying to have an opinion on a serious issue, you have to do a little bit more empathizing, understanding, searching for information, you know, why is this a thing that people would choose to do, right? And once you do that, once you do that, even if it would not change your mind, if you asked people, or even if you just went online and just like, you know, if you don't want to ask anybody, because it's obviously a whole personal thing, but if you just go online, just read, just read any of the stories of 
from women who have had to make those kind of choices about their healthcare. Just read any of them. And what you would discover is that these are very complicated, distressing, emotional decisions. These are not, you know, it's not as simple as the approach to the situation would make it sound, right? And the same thing is happening with this kind of homophobic slander that's been going around or something about, you know, gay people or drag queens or whatever are, you know, grooming children and their pedophiles or whatever. It's like, A, again, you're just a fucking asshole to start. But B, you're not understanding. You are just simply not attempting to understand anything about the subject. You are doing the same thing. It is the same like, ugh, I'm a man and gay people are bad or whatever. And it's like, that is just not a thing. You know what I mean? Like you just have to do, even if you don't change your mind, right? Like if you just went into the situation, trying to understand, trying to empathize, talking to people about their lives and how they experience the world, the world was not made for me to understand. That's not, I am not the center of the universe. Other people live in the world and other people in these two cases will make choices about their healthcare that I have nothing to do with where I don't get an opinion because it has nothing to do with me, even if I agree or disagree with their choice. It is the same thing, right? In this world that we all live in exist people who are gay who are bisexual, who are transgender, they exist here and they have a story to tell you about their life that may, even if it doesn't change your mind, may open your, open your kind of, I don't know, perception of the world. Open it up a bit, add some more context, right? There's more to the world that we live in in society than your kind of single narrow-minded view on it and i don't want this to be a political podcast and i probably won't bring up any other political thing again however i could not i absolutely could not divorce myself from how i see people approaching both of those situations online and how the duke was approaching his son in these chapters or in the prologue because if he had just approached the situation he kind of just starts a i'm the duke and i'm a genius and everybody knows that if your son is stuttering he's a fucking idiot and it's like a like we said you're just an asshole but b if you had done any kind of deep dive and any kind of digging in any kind of having any kind of patience any kind of understanding if you went into the situation trying to listen to what the teacher was saying what you would have discovered is that simon is smart and kind and proud and wants to impress his father. He actually has every single quality that the Duke is looking for. If he'd just taken the moment to not be a selfish prick and try to understand or empathize in the situation, he would have realized everything he wanted was there the whole time. And he lost it. He missed it. He didn't. He was an asshole. He didn't try and understand or empathize. And that's what happened. It just all sucks for Simon. And so, again, I don't want this to be a political podcast. However, I'm the one deep diving these things. And when I was reading this chapter, that's all I could think about. I could not divorce myself from it. So I will say it here in the deep dive. And if that means you hate me now or whatever, then that's okay. That's okay. We'll, 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 we'll move on now and we'll go on to the next thing. We finished up with the Duke's approach to this, but I want to talk about Simon a little bit. Uh, Simon, who is very smart and kind and all of the other things, 
is is obviously upset about the situation with his father, but as he grows up, he's still he's still trying to be the thing his father wants him to be. You know, he grows up, he's 11 years old, he's been taken somewhere else. The Duke has been telling people that he's dead or something or that he doesn't have a son, so much so that when they arrive at age 11 to talk to the Duke, that the guard or the, the servant doesn't seem to actually believe that Simon was alive, seems to have truly believed that he was dead or something. Um, so that's the level of assholery we're dealing with. And Simon shows up determined, you know, he's been practicing his sentences, he can speak in full sentences now, unless he's super stressed, he's able to do it. And he's only 11, so we can presume this trajectory of getting better and working at it and working at it. And this determination is going to end up paying off and is going to end up, you know, he's going to lose the stutter. It's something he can work through, even if it's something he couldn't work through then it, we we know in 2022 it would not be a problem not at all but to the duke i was thinking as i was reading this even though i know how this is gonna go i was reading thinking oh he's better like the duke is gonna like okay like the duke's gonna be in on it now and he's not he gets there it must suck so bad for simon to have tried so hard and come so far and to, to practice this much to get over a thing to to not even be given the chance to 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 show that you've been able to work not that she should have ever had to have shown that he can work through a stutter however in this world he does have to and so to have worked that hard at it and then not even be given the chance or the opportunity or anything um just terrible the one takeaway from this that i did really like and i like that julia quinn spiced it in there is that you know an 11 year old simon being determined to be whatever the opposite of his father wants is is incredible like just an 11 year old being like you know what fuck this guy i hate him he's being a prick i've worked really hard i'm gonna do everything i can to be the worst like the opposite of what he wants me to be and that is that is like a special kind of revenge when you know how obsessed we he is with having a son that can be the duke and he can't get out of it that son's gonna be the duke anyway so now like his dad can't get out of it his son is going to be the duke but now he's kind of forced that son to be the opposite of what he wanted all along it's the best kind of revenge and i'm all in on it go 11 year old simon now it's time for chapter one where we learn a little bit more about daphne there's still some simon in this chapter so we're not getting rid of simon we're just getting an older version of him you know, postgraduate Simon hanging out with Anthony. But here we get a little bit of Daphne and a little bit of Mama Bridge. We learn all about the Bridgertons and their names and that they're alphabetical and all of that stuff. Mama Bridgerton, angrier than I was expecting. Remember, I'm a show watcher first. Go listen to those deep dives. They're fantastic. I have a lot of fun with them. I'm a show watcher first. And Mama Bridgerton just has a temper to her that she does not have in the show. So I was kind of into that. We also get more on Daphne. Now, this is fascinating. Daphne, if I've read this correctly, and feel free to tweet me or email me if I'm wrong, Daphne has been on the market, not on the market. I mean, in this in this world, yeah, on the market. That's what they are. They're being sold, right? That's kind of the thing with the dowry and all that. But she's been in the season. She's been eligible in season for two years this is her third year that she is you know on the marriage market in in the what do they call it in the social season that's what is crazy because in the show she is portrayed is just you know it's her first year on the in the social season and she's the fucking diamond that's how that goes it's daphne's year and she's the diamond boom 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 episode one of the show 
Not here, though. No, 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 no. Now, we haven't met the queen yet in the books, but, you know, she is in her third season now. And she is, it's very interesting, the description of her. Um, she's by all accounts rather lovely. No one was dazzled by her beauty, stunned into speechlessness, etc. So she she's attractive, but not, you know, to whatever the attractiveness level of the, you know, Regency era high society is. She's not stunning. She's not, you know, she's not the first draft pick. She's not out there. All of the most eligible bachelors are not thinking like, who am I going to marry? Daphne Bridgerton. That is not what's going on here. She seems to have a really good head on her shoulders. She seems to have a reasonable kind of expectation for marriage. This isn't somebody who you get the sense wants a perfect love match. Just wants something nice and kind and respectful. Which she, you know, a woman in this society is shoot for the moon. Get your love match. Don't settle for less. But within the realm of this problematic society, you know. Um, she has a pretty reasonable expectation, you know, great head on her shoulders. It's very pragmatic and practical. Um, she's also pretty pragmatic about the Whistledown stuff. Like, like she kind of understands, like, hey, Whistledown's got to be somebody that's around here because they need to have access to all of the information. Like, she's smart, and she's, you know, it's, I find this this description of Daphne is not at all what I was expecting. This is great, though. If I'm going to read a whole book about Daphne, there's a lot more nuance here. There's so much more nuance. You know, she's not just going to walk into a room and be like, I'm the prettiest fucking awesome person ever. And the Duke's going to be like, oh, my God, you're the best or anything. You know, that's not what's going to happen. There's going to be a little more nuance to it, which I am going to enjoy. So that was good. I actually went to get my book just to show you like what a different Violet Bridgerton we have in the book than from the show. You know, in the show, we have a Violet Bridgerton who who can definitely get angry, but mostly at Anthony for being an idiot or whatever. Um, but here's a line from page 16 in my copy. Um, Violet Bridgerton crumpled the single-page newspaper into a ball and hurled it across the elegant, elegant drawing room. Did you read what she said Violet demanded? You know what I mean? Um, read it then, Violet wailed, her arms slicing dramatically through the air read how that woman has maligned us like she is incensed about lady whistledown which i want to talk about lady whistledown for a second because i i assume it's going to be penelope again in these books but you know i'll hold off in case it's not because that would also be cool um she is incensed and again daphne good head on her shoulders is pretty pragmatic you know mama bridge is like hey the you know that asshole lady whistledown look what she's writing about us and daphne's like well you know what? On the bright side, you know what she said. We're all of new, like actual parentage. Like we all know, like now society thinks that all of us, you know, you know, there's no, you know, there's no, you know, weird sexy times happening. There was no cheating. There was no um, uncouth births or anything. There's, you know, there was no. We're all, we're all yours and papa's children. You know what I mean? So Daphne, you know, a little more grounded and pragmatic about the whole thing. Violet fucking incensed which i just thought was fascinating we get a good little glimpse at lady whistledown as well lady whistledown gives the newspaper out for free then starts charging people for it fucking hilarious that made me laugh out loud you know what this i'm already sold that this book is not a crime against humanity maybe i'm only liking it as much as i am because i've invested so much time into this silly silly show now that i'm just like so into it but like that was that was so funny when you find out that Lady Whistledown gave it up for free for a little while and then started charging for them. That was so good. What a play. If that is Penelope in the book as well, hell yeah, Penelope, you're killing it. 
Anthony, uh, we, we meet Anthony in the story as well. He's hanging out with the Duke, who is now the Duke. So in the prologue, Simon was the Earl, and I was using the phrase the Duke to refer to his dad, because in the prologue, his dad was the Duke. But now I want to make a clear cut. Every time from now on, if I reference the Duke, I mean Simon, because now Simon is the Duke, and I will say Simon's father or the Duke's dad or something to refer to the asshole from the prologue. So I just want to be clear, we're using the phrase the Duke for two different people because in the book, the Duke is being used for two different people. So I'm just tracking with what the book's telling me here. So now the Duke is Simon. The Duke is not Simon's father, who was the Duke in the prologue. This is getting confusing. I know, you know, but that's okay. We'll get through it. Anthony and the Duke have a fun bond. You know, they went to school together. They're hanging out at White's. The social club with the problematic name had <laughs> all the problematic things that I read in this chapter. The fact that the club was called Whites was probably the most problematic, but we'll leave that discussion for another time. Um, also, actually, wait a second. Wait a minute. I have not even checked. In the book, are the Duke and his father, are they black like they are in the show? Or are they white as well? Oh my goodness. Is everyone in this book white and it's just a show? Uh, all the diversity is just a show thing? Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to... Don't... Mm, I'm trying to get you to spoil... I want to read it in the book. Don't spoil me on that. I want to try and figure it out in the book. Because now that I'm thinking about it... You know, I always think about whites as a problematic name just because I'm sure there's only white people that were allowed in in the Regency era. And that was the that was the problematic thing I was trying to get across but now i'm starting to wonder because there's no reference to the skin color i'm starting to wonder if the duke and simon being black is a show creation wow okay all right where are we i have some investigating to do here i'm gonna keep i mean after this i'm obviously gonna read the next couple chapters so i'll figure it out wow okay my I, i'm this book is giving me lots to think about now. Anyways, the Duke and Anthony are there, and they're hanging out. They're talking about all the shit they used to get up to in school, which is pretty funny. There's some fun stories about something happening with a chamber pot or what. I care. Anthony did something to Simon, and it was very, very funny, and I laughed a lot, and so I, I forgot to write down what it was. Um, but they used to play around and mess around and stuff in school. Anthony starts talking about Daphne, and you know what? I was not expecting this Anthony. Uh, Anthony has foregone and gotten rid of four marriage proposals for Daphne, which is crazy. Anthony, I would not, it did not seem like the kind of guy to, in the in the show at least, to be like very pragmatic about this whole thing. He's kind of like, yep, Burbrook will do, baby. You're getting married to him now. So in the, in the book, it seems like he's taking a little more of a patient approach. Like, hey, she's been approached like four times, but she wasn't into it. So I kept saying no. And I just had this moment, I was like, you know what, Anthony, good for you. The Duke gives us a little bit of context about what's going on with him. I like I like exposition in a conversation that makes sense. All of this is just exposition, but it's in a conversation that makes sense. Two friends reminiscing after having been school buddies. This is a good this is good authoring, right? These are two people who would be having this conversation, just having this conversation, so I get to learn everything. The Duke's here for a little bit. He's got to get his affairs in order. He's just become the Duke. His dad has just died. All that good stuff. Good. Fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. I am glad Simon is the Duke now. The other guy was a prick. 
and you know he's here lady danbury was kind to him or he's a fan she's a family friend or whatever so he's got to go to this ball and then anthony's like you know that everybody all these you know all these mamas with all of their daughters are going to be all over you duke and the duke is like yeah i'll be there for half an hour or whatever and anthony's like no you won't no 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 no, no. you set foot in a ball right now and you will be stuck here for like, anthony seems to understand exactly how this is going to go for the duke which I thought was very fun. Um, the only bit of like eh, writing, you know, that I found, and maybe this is because I just watched the show first, so some of this is like I'm kind of retreading ground that's the same, is the Duke kind of wondering about family and all that stuff is like, for me, it was a little bit too much because like you're just like, ah, oh, I know that he doesn't want to have a family. So him wondering, like, oh, what would it be like to have a wife or kids? I was like, yeah, it's a little bit on the nose, but it's a romance novel. It's a romance novel. You have to have the guy not want to do it at the start so that when he does want to do it, a whole thing has happened. Things have been achieved. You know, the effort was worth the love at the end. I don't read a lot of romance books. I actually just bought a romance book called... The People We Meet on Vacation, which I'm excited to read. I'm reading that. What am I currently reading? I'm currently reading The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett, I believe her name is. Yeah, I think I'm reading The I'm reading the. It's called The Vanishing Half for sure. That's what I'm reading right now. But after that, I genre hop. So I never read the same genre twice. The only exception is sometimes fantasy. I'll read two in a row just to get myself through the story a little bit more. But I always genre hop. So um, my next one is romance. And I, I bought the um what what did i just say it was called oh the people we meet on vacation for that so we'll see it's a romance novel the guy's gotta not be into it so that when he ends up being into it it's hot and sexy and stuff and they can have sex a lot to their taylor swift covers and that can't happen if the duke is already into it so he's not that into it um we get a little bit on the the relationship between Lady Danbury and the Duke, which I'm I'm excited to explore later. Um, they also, you know, I think Anthony calls them the fire breathing dragon mamas will be out in force, and I like that as well. And I just like this whole kind of conceit uh, of Anthony and the Duke kind of being here together and having this conversation about how this social season, how this social season is going to work for him. While also talking a little bit about Daphne, so we just get a little bit more of a download on her. But this scene was well enough constructed that i appreciated the exposition that we got and that's it that's all for the first two chapters the prologue and i gotta stop saying that the prologue in chapter one of the duke and i i enjoyed these <laughs> this one chapter in the prologue very very much i i'm excited to see where things go there's a lot that surprised me the the prologue none of the prologue surprised me just because i'd watched the show and it tracked at least similarly but there's a lot more kind of depth and nuance to it that i think i liked more we were able to get a little bit more context and that's just that you're able to in a book instead of a tv show or a movie where you can kind of be in the characters heads and whatnot but i found what i enjoyed the most was actually all of the stuff with anthony and simon you know simon kind of having this small bit of not envying anthony's responsibilities but wondering what would it be like to have daughters that are coming or to have um, daughters or sisters coming of age to be to have something to be responsible for and for anthony's kind of you know not anthony kind of saying i don't know why you know love is probably too much to hope for but i don't know why she can't be happy with her husband anthony kind of having these moments where he seems like a genuinely decent big brother instead of just <laughs> instead of just an idiot right and so we'll see how this goes it kind of seems like burbrook just isn't a thing in the book um based on the first two chapters because anthony doesn't seem like that kind of guy based on what I just read, but we'll see how it goes in chapters three and four. But I'm just excited to learn more. I was expecting, based on what my friend told me about these books, to genuinely not like them. 
and um to i and for me for me kind of finding the good in something i don't like would have been an amazing twist on this podcast however i really enjoyed these first two chapters it did not put me off the book at all i'm excited to keep going i'm excited to keep revisiting this world of bridgerton with you if you have any feedback for me or just want to like talk about the show a little or talk about the book a little bit um feel free to email me let's dive deep pod at gmail.com send me a tweet at let's dive deep don't forget to rate and review the podcast wherever you're listening hop on the facebook group it's totally free we have a good time there and also head out to the patreon the patreon is in the show notes below it's a couple of bucks a month you get early access to all the episodes um but it really helps me pay for the podcasting fees it's like a value for value exchange and so if you're enjoying the podcast i want to leave a little tip feel free to go do that if you don't then don't worry keep enjoying this podcast it's going to be awesome um thank you so much we'll be here next time with chapters three and four i can't wait thank you so much for listening and we'll see you in the next one